This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're doomed. folks welcome once again to cinema degeneration this is the killer wheels appreciation month we are doing possessed and demonic cars bulldozers rubber car tires uh motorcycles what have you trucks anything if it's got uh wheels and it's mobile and it kills you we are covering it and on this particular show we are doing the 1974 made for tv movie the infamous cult classic Killdozer, directed by Jerry London. And my guest co-host for the evening is my good buddy, Tom Burdinsky. How are we doing tonight, Tom? Hey, real good, Cam. Thanks for having me. And just a quick question is, do you wait till I do three episodes until I actually get my check from you? Is that how that works? No, fourth show. Oh, fourth show. Fourth okay, show. no problem. The fourth just, show. Just trying to, you know, <laughs> All yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and when we do our fourth show, uh, I, I'm willing to bet it'll probably be the fifth show before the check is in the mail. I, hey, you know, as long as the checks get bigger. You know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, so we're doing all right out there in uh, quarantine land? Yeah, you know, living in lockdown, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, you kind of get used to it. And fortunately, we've, we've got podcasts, we've got Skype, we've got lots of ways to communicate that we didn't have even 10 years ago. So... Could could sure as heck be a yeah, lot. Yeah, that worse. is. Uh, yeah, it could be a lot worse if this had been something that had happened in like nineteen, you know, eighty one. It, it had been been a lonely world out there, wouldn't it? For sure, for sure. But let's go. Let's enough about the pandemic and everything. Let's get right off into our review with a the quick uh, two sentence IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. A small construction crew on an island is terrorized when a spirit-like being takes over a large bulldozer and goes on a killing rampage. And that's pretty much just like the movie is. It's very uh, simple and straightforward. And I had heard of this movie for years, had never seen it. Is this one of the, you know how it is, Tom, sometimes there's so many movies out there and we get so used to seeing the same ones over and over you know, this one just got past me. But when you had suggested, actually, I got to get credit where credit's due. You were the one that inspired me to want to do a Killer Car Month. Uh, I was going to do something totally different for the next Appreciation Month. But when you mentioned this, it started getting my gears turning. And I was just like, you know, Killer Cars, that's a niche that's not appreciated enough, I think. So thank you for inspiring me to do so. Glad I could help. Does that mean I get more money then? Is that part of this? Uh, yes, you get you get another imaginary check. <laughs> <laughs> All good. <laughs> no, this is this is a you're getting paid the same amount I am, sir. Uh, next to nothing. There you <laughs> go. The check will be in the mail November of never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this is a genre that I, I just happen to really love, and I think I was watching. Uh, it, was, it wasn't Maximum Overdrive, but it was the other one based on, it was Trucks, I think, was this, the movie. Yeah. Based on Stephen King's story, and it just gave me the idea. And I thought, I thought about, or I immediately thought about Killdozer. And then I started thinking about other ones, and some of them you're probably going to do as part of your show, so I'm not going to say what they are. I don't want to be a spoiler. 
But um, I just thought, you know, they're, they're not, there's a lot of good movies in this genre out there, you know, especially from, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and they're, they're kind of fun and they're fun to, fun to look up. So I was glad you, uh, you uh, were willing to, to dig into this. Yeah, I wanted to do something different. We showcased a couple of directors when we did Romero Month and Carpenter Month, and I was looking for something just different to do. And when you mentioned this, I was like, yeah, this uh, this is something worthy of, of the show, I, I think. <laughs> and this movie, now, we this is the second show we're recording. Uh, we recorded one uh, just actually in the time scheme of things. It was yesterday. We did The Hearse. Uh, oh, not a good movie. I'm not a good say, start. So- Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about it too. No, that that one was suggested by my mother, of all people. Oh. So uh, she, she was like, "Oh, I remember this movie being really good," but it would not. It was bad. It was it was real bad. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, who that that was the movie that was uh you know had a great title, had a great car that was not really in the movie at all, but. Yeah, that, that 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 was not a great start for the show. So I had implored people to tune back in for the second episode. So I hope you all are joining us for this uh, great show. This is this is a movie worthy of our attention, unlike the hearse. But Killdozer doesn't didn't start off like the way I uh, thought it would. I didn't. I, I guess I didn't know what to expect. You know, I knew it was about a killer bulldozer. I mean, but, you know, thankfully you didn't ruin anything for me. You didn't like any of the, you know, spoilers or whatnot. But that opening shot of the meteorite or the asteroid or whatever it was, the the, the alien organism that lands in the middle of that, you know, uh, that crashes into the Earth and uh, gives off that blinding blue light. Then when it lands on that little island outside of Africa... I was just like, oh, this is where we're going. We're going a little, like, it was almost like um, the lonesome death of Jody Verrill, but except, instead of dropping a, you know, uh, a, a green goo out of it that would, you know, overtake the world, it was a blue light. And yeah. I thought that was just an interesting way to start it. It starts off very sci-fi-ish, and then it kind of goes into normal stalker territory, you know? Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. It kind of reminded me of, you know, movies actually that came out later, Don Dollar's, you know, Galaxy Invader and, and, you know, Alien Factor and those kind of things that start off with kind of that little cheesy sci-fi intro and, and then, you know, you've got the alien on Earth, you know, type of thing. What was interesting to me about this one, though, and I didn't know this until, like, just recently. So I knew Killdozer was based on a book. I didn't know the book was actually written in 1944. So this is like, and, and the book, and, and, and it, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this, you know, the, the script in this, uh, the dialogue in this show is very, almost noirish. I mean, you got characters named Dutch and Chubb and just, they're, they're all tough guys, you know, all, all of them. All of them could have been, you know, in a, in a film noir in the 40s, they all could have been detectives if they weren't, you know, construction workers. But Yeah, it, was, it all could have been very James Cagney, Humphrey yeah. Bogart-ish. Yep. So when I when I found out that it was written in 1944, that really makes you think, you know, this was probably a quite an original concept. You know, in 1944, it's been done a million times that, you know, since then where a meteor crashes on the Earth and you've got, you know, an alien in some form, you know, then moving into you know, either a body snatcher or in this case, a bulldozer snatcher. <laughs> but for the era, you know, I thought that's pretty darn creative. I just figured it was written, you know, for TV in the 70s. I figured that was a TV movie. The couple guys got together and wrote it in the 70s. But when you think about it, you know, this is like an 80-year-old idea. And it's been around for a while. And they finally made it into, into this particular movie. But, uh, the, uh, just another kind of fun fact just that I caught when I was uh, kind of – I was, I was just kind of obsessed by that whole thing. Gee, written in 1944, who is this guy? And uh, the writer, Theodore Sturgeon, actually wrote one of my favorite Star Trek episodes, Amok Time, which is the episode where Spock basically has to get laid or he's going to die, and he fights Kirk. Oh, yeah. I remember he, that episode. He came up with the phrase, live long and prosper. I mean, this, this guy, he really has a knack for dialogue, whether it's, you know, alien worlds or, you know, in this case, you know, this... Uh, situation with the killdozer on, on this island and these construction workers but he he has a just a knack for sort of just mysterious noirish but but very catchy dialogue and uh i don't know i that just 
when you were kind of mentioning, you know, that this this did kind of take you by surprise from the beginning. I think some of it's just, you know, why it was just this guy's influences in the 40s were probably a lot of kind of noirish things and science fiction in the 40s. I mean, there wasn't much of it, at least not in the movies. So he was probably getting right. from old comic books or whatever and, and came up with this kind of, in my mind, this great idea. So, Well, um I, I did a little, you know, my due diligence and did a little bit of studying up on it. And I'd also found out that it was based on a story from 1944. But it also had a comic book adaptation uh, by Marvel Comics. Yep. The same uh, same year, same year of the movie, the, the, the TV movie came out, which I would love to be able to get a hold of, which I'm sure, you know, having come out in 74 is more expensive and uh, expensive for my taste. Yeah, once I get my check, maybe I'll get it. You know, if, if yeah. it's at five shows, once we get before it, yeah. <laughs> but I do agree. The dialogue, you know, for a made-for-TV movie for '74, I don't how, know how much of it was uh, retained, you know, from the original source material. But uh, one of my favorite lines was, you know, how do you go about killing a machine? And the dentist character says, "A machine. Well, it's too heavy to hang and it's too big to put in the gas chamber." Yeah. It's this interesting noir? little. Yeah, that's very noirish. Yeah, it's so noir, and so much of their dialogue is in the characters. You know, they're you know you got the tough guy, you know, recovering alcoholic, you know, corporate man who's the boss, and you know you got the the guy with a drinking problem, you know, and you got the you know you got what's his name? Uh, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. The his character actor in like everything, Neville. Oh, Clint Walker. Yeah. So Clint Walker, of course, he, he was the star. I was thinking of Neville Brand. Uh, oh yeah. Always playing that gruff, you know. He's got that face that you just you just look at him and he's. he's I made always... a, yeah, because I made a note. He was in Toby Hooper's uh, Eaten Alive. He was the main antagonist in that. I forgot yep. his character's name, but I recognized him right off the bat because he's got a face that was made for radio. You know, <laughs> he, he's a scary looking guy. He, he did a lot of movies with Graydon Clark, who did uh, Without Warning. You know, uh, a bunch of you know low budget sci fi stuff. You know, in the seventies and eighties and. Uh, He's he's just uh he's just like you say he's got one of those faces he's always gonna you're always gonna remember when you see him and he generally plays some kind of a crabby grumpy <laughs> kind of <laughs> character but but you know you see him and you know you've seen him in ten other things uh, but this you know pretty much you know the entire cast of this this show was 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 perfect really you know and I think nice. it also bears mentioning there is not one female actor or actress in this movie there's only six characters and every one of them is a guy so the femme fatale is is the is the uh the femme fatale of the movie is if it's a film noirish kind of thing is the is the kill dozer itself it absolutely is and in fact i even looked at the crew i didn't see a single woman's name in the crew (laughs) so yeah this is this is a man's movie this is this is a bunch of uh a bunch of men with, with big construction equipment. In fact, the, the only woman that's even, I think, mentioned in the movie is Veronica Lake. They hold up a picture of her, but we don't even get to see the picture. <laughs> they hold it right, up. Right, yeah. We never even get, there's not even like a, a woman, you know, not even an image of a woman in this movie. So they were, yeah, they were well, so it, it was a little disappointing. It's like, I at least wanted to, like, when Dutch finds that picture, I'm like, uh, I, like, you know, I, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to at least see who Veronica Lake was. I wanted to see right. some type of a, a lady presence. Right. And, and I know she was like, a, you know, kind of a pinup. She was an actress, of course, and, you know, did a lot of like pinups and stuff, I think. But, you know, years before this movie came out. So, you know, was that, I don't know if she was in the 40s or not, but I mean, it's just another thing where this movie, you know, is, is sort of, you know, we're watching it in the year, you know, 2021. It was made in 74, but it was written in 1944. It's really, you know, a lot of just sort of juxtapositions of time periods when you take this all in. But I, I think it just makes it that much more fun. Yeah, and I think this is a movie that, believe it or not, to me, it, it, I think a lot. maybe some people will, like, disagree with me on this. I think it translates well today or would translate well today. I think it's a type of a concept that would still work you know, in today's climate if they did, you know, I hate to use the term remake or reboot or a reimagining. But I think it would translate well today, you know, with that sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, those are always my favorite movies. You know, Zombie, Lucio Fulci's Zombie, you know, they're on an island. This movie, they're yeah. on an island, isolated, you know, they lose their, kill those right. radio, you know. 
yeah, that, that kind of thing where it's, you know, Night of the Living Dead where they're trapped in the house. You know, those type of movies where it's, you know, the, the five or six of you against, you know, whatever's coming and there's there's no help on the way or it's, or it's you know, days away, you got to survive. Um, there's something that's, that's a lot of fun about, you know, those, those types of movies. And I, I agree. Uh, I think it would work well again today. Um, but I don't think they could ever duplicate, or they probably wouldn't even try, to duplicate just some of the, you know, the danger inherent in making this movie. You know, there, there's no CGI. There's no miniatures here. You know, oh, there's, no. there's an unmanned, basically, bulldozer cruising around, taking swipes at people with its blade. And even though you know there's a guy somewhere in that bulldozer controlling it, uh, he can hardly see anything because you can't even figure out where he would be. But I caught the director talking about it, and he said that the guy was underneath the bulldozer somewhere and working the controls that way. And they were talking to him by walkie-talkie to tell the guy what to do, like turn left, go straight. Well, you got a guy running in front of a bulldozer. What if he fell down and that walkie-talkie didn't get the message to the guy to say stop? I mean, there's like real danger in these in these stunts, even though there weren't a lot of them. But when you think about, you know, this this bulldozer, even though it, it, there's someone controlling it, of course, because it's a movie. But in a lot of ways, it, you know, it was still a scary situation. I would think for the actors. Yeah, I think stunt wise, it had to be a, a bitch to try to to maneuver and to cal- calculate because mm-hmm. one wrong move, and you know, like like you said, there's you know. You got actors and stuntmen jumping and leaping from in front of it, leaping off of it, and, and yeah. onto it. And, and um, one miscalculation could be certain death, or at least you know mean the, they certainly would get maimed or lose a limb. And oh, yeah. that's what I appreciated about it, like the stunt work. And I was like, I find it hard to believe that nobody got hurt. At least yeah. I don't know if anybody got hurt. You know, I didn't find anything out about that. Like when I did my research on it. But if they made this and nobody got hurt making it, that is a marvel in, in filmmaking itself. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. And that's and today, you know, they do all that with CGI, and it would just, it just wouldn't have the, the thrill factor that this does. You know, this is, you know, there's there's clever editing and stuff to make things look you know, closer maybe than they really were. But there are still some shots where you know you got a guy running in front of this bulldozer, and it's coming after him. And if he would have fallen down, I don't know what they could have done if, if they couldn't have got a hold of that guy because. Whoever's running that bulldozer cannot see in front of that blade, so it's it was it was kind of exciting in that way, um, and it was just it just was well done. You know, it was just well well made. They didn't overdo any of that stuff. You know, they they, they kept true to their kind of their uh, their tone and their theme. They didn't go for the hyper violence or anything like that. But the uh, the tension was there. Yeah, the tension is there, and it, it is a very moody and atmospheric film. You feel uh-huh. like they're being stalked, at least at first, by this dozer, because, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. Uh, Robert Yurick, Mr. Spencer for Hire himself, it was one of his yes. first mo- movie roles. He's not in it very much, you know. Um, he's <laughs> kind of the big, big name of the group is McCarthy or Mac. And I always kind of thought of, I was thinking of... Um, McCready from the thing. I was thinking that when they kept calling him Mac, I kind of had like this is a little bit of the thing in in here, but he gets taken out like pretty easily. I mean, when they, you know, the the killdozer itself, which I made a note, is a Caterpillar D nine, which oh. also made another note that it had a maximum speed of seven point three miles per hour, where the average human can run at eight point three miles per hour. So even on foot, you could outrun this thing. Technically, most people. I know I couldn't. <laughs> I, I, I am a runner, and I will just say, yeah, you can you can go eight miles an hour for a little while, but, but you know, if you're a jogger, you're probably going closer to you know between five and maybe seven miles per hour most of the time. So you'd still get tired running away from this thing. <laughs> oh yeah, but when they when they find out, I mean, they're on an island. We have already mentioned that they're 200 miles off the coast of Africa. On a, at an old World War II depot that they're clearing to make an airstrip. Yep. So they're kind of isolated on this island, and they're going to clear, you know, uh, clear the area, and they, they hit the meteorite, and he can't budget. So the Clint Walkers, Lloyd Kelly, the, the, you know, the, the boss of the operation, he kicks Robert Urich off, off, the, off the killdozer, and when he goes to slam into the, the meteorite or the asteroid, because he's like, I'll show you how to do this, son, it sends off a blue light. Once again, like when it crashed and it transfers into the, the killdozer, it's a really old school optical effect. 
but then it flashes and I guess we're supposed to, even though it's not very clear, I mean, because we're, later on, you know, we'll find out that it burned Robert Urich's character pretty badly. They they do the right thing by, like, for a TV movie where they can't have his whole face and his body is kind of burned, but they keep him in the shadow. So they, you know, probably keeping that ratings where they needed it to be for made-for-TV. For, you know, I think this was made for ABC, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I can't remember, but I think it was by Universal. But, yeah, yep, probably. But yeah, that was like the when that's the point when you realize okay, now the the Kildos are e- it's either being possessed or being taken over like I guess you could say by, by the alien I, I guess I'm not quite sure that's the one thing that's never quite explained you know the 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 Kildozer does become I guess you could say sentient because it can sense them it can hear them and see them and but you know obviously it's a bulldozer and it doesn't have the the sense of smell and the sense of sight and whatnot but it definitely knows where they're at and it just starts picking them off one by one and you know one like i said i made the point york didn't york didn't last long and that's where it starts the kind of wedge in between the characters uh the kelly character is uh he gets left alone with mac and then he kind of confesses to him. He's like, I saw the blue light. Did you see it? You know, and he didn't see it. And I think it bears mentioning that the Kelly character is kind of torn because he's an alcoholic or recovering alcoholic. And this job is kind of, I guess you would just say it was kind of his last hurrah, his last chance to kind of prove himself. Otherwise, he's up shit creek without a paddle. So, yeah. you know, he, you know, this, he know. I think he knows right off the bat, like, this is the end for him. Because all of a sudden now he's on this job that could be his last job, and he loses one of his guys. And they're going to be several days before anybody comes out to do a supply drop, so they have to bury him. James, I think it's James Wainwright plays Dutch, who was really close friends with Mac. He got him into the job and introduced him. You know, he tells a bunch of stories, you know, about how him and Mac met. He got him the job there. He introduced him to his girl. You know, and uh, tells a kind of funny story where he met at like a, a masquerade party and he told her to put on two masks. I thought that was a funny story. You know, when he gets into that yeah. story about put on the two masks and when you take off the first one and introduce yourself to him, he th- he's going to think that you really look like this witch, which I thought was an, it, it was a nice touching story to kind of show their friendship, which definitely drives kind of the wedge between the Dutch character and the Kelly character. Yeah, I think the... Uh, like you said, they, they, they definitely established the conflict between, you know, Clint Walker's character, um, you know, being the corporate guy and all his workers there. And the workers were all kind of close with each other. And, and uh, you know, this, <coughs> excuse me, Clint Walker was kind of keeping his distance from them, like you said, for the, for the reasons that, that you mentioned. And, uh, you know, obviously one or one or two or more of the characters eventually figured out, you know, that he was this recovering alcoholic and they sort of teased him about it. And those were some pretty awkward scenes, but they were good. You know, I mean, yeah. they, they were very well done and they, they kind of, you know, forced them to keep their distance, you know. And and as the movie went on and, and the dangers increased and all that stuff, you know, the Kelly character got closer to the, you know, the, the group of men that were getting picked off. And, uh, you know, towards the end, they, you know, there was a definite friendship between you know, him and, and Dutch that I'm sure we'll get into later. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, quite, uh, it's quite cool, you know, how it are not Dutch, uh, the other guy, Dennis, but it, it's quite cool how they, um, you know, put it all together, how they assembled, you know, the, uh, you know, just the conflicts between these characters that just seemed, seemed pretty realistic, you know, for a bunch of guys who probably work together and, you know, go from site to site, go from job to job, they're, you know, they're kind of friends, they're kind of sick of each other at times, but, um, you know, I thought especially for something, you know, written so long ago, and it had to be, you know, so succinctly written to probably fit into that time slot, you know, they didn't have a lot of time to, you know, really uh, develop the character, they you had to have just a couple sentences, then you had to know what that guy was like, and I, I thought they did that quite well. Yeah, and I felt it was very realistic uh, for a construction crew. I did uh, traveling construction and worked in concrete for a couple of years, for about three or four years in my 20s. And that a lot of the camaraderie, you know, and the kinship that they had of these people, you know, yeah, they're sick of each other. Yeah, they pick on each other, but they're dedicated to one another. It was very, 
very realistic and very spot on. I appreciated that aspect of it. You know, with, with the movie that was really short, I mean, I think it's an hour, 15 minutes long, give or take a couple of minutes. It's very mm-hmm. short. But, you know, for what little time they had to develop those characters, I thought they did it well. Like you said, within a couple of sentences, you had to get what kind of people these were. You know, like like the Dutch character, he liked his music. You know, he liked to joke around and whatnot. We didn't really get to know Mac because he was bumped off so quickly. But, you right. know, you could tell, like, the look, you know, the Dennis character was very, you know, strict and by the book, you know, and <laughs> and... Carl Betts is really good as Dennis. He's the yin to, he's the yin to Kelly's yang, yes, so to yes. speak. You know, he's they're the two alpha males. They each have very differing opinions. Once the kill dozer starts bumping people off, of how to deal with things, but they eventually have to like you know band together for the common good if any of them are going to survive. And right. I, I like that aspect of it. Yep. Yep. And no women. No women. Here with it, you know, no, no love story here. <laughs> no, 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 no time, no time, time for love, Doctor Jones. Nope. <laughs> but you know, I love the looming danger. You know what I mean uh, of it, like when the killdozer is just kind of there. You know, like when they when Kelly tows it back to the main job site to have, uh, oh, what's his name that uh, Neville Brand plays a yeah. chub. Sure. Yeah, their their mechanic has him look over it, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, he's like, there's really nothing wrong with it, but the fuel line was disconnected, the you know spark plugs were pulled out of it, and this, that, and the other." And he's like, "Yeah, I wanted to make sure this thing didn't move." And he's like, "I was only, it was only going to get here if I dragged it here," yep. and he, because he, I think, suspects something at first, but he's not saying anything to anybody because I think he also knows because of his past history of being an alcoholic and being on kind of thin ice. He, he he's not so quick to you know he's not so quick to uh, you know jump to conclusions or at least let anybody know what's on his mind because I think he's like yeah I know how I know how this is gonna look you know yeah this is not he gonna did. look good there there was a quick exchange between uh, uh, Clint Walker's character and Neville Brand where they talked about another incident on some other site where another piece of equipment went crazy type of a thing and I thought that was kind of unusual. You know, that they would, like, that had happened, something like this had happened before, obviously not to this level, but where, you know, some other bulldozer or crane or something had gotten away from, you know, the guy controlling it. So I did think that was interesting, and I was hoping they'd give us more backstory on that, maybe, but they, they never did. But it was just kind of, I thought, when I was watching the movie this this most recent time, I hadn't caught that when I saw it before. Um, huh, that's interesting. You know, why would they why would they say that? You know, is this, is this common on construction sites that... Uh, you know, a piece of equipment kind of develops a mind of its own and does something crazy. Well, you know, I think it kind of goes into that old kind of the gearhead, you know, or, or the, the, you know, the uh, the mechanic kind of thing of there's like almost like with the taming a horse, there's, you know, or having a car, you become familiar with it and it's like drives this car or uses this equipment every single day is fine, but you get somebody who doesn't know what they're doing behind the wheel, it could be trouble. You know, I've, I've been on a construction site like that. There's been equipment that's been like, you know, that's so-and-so's job, only he operates that machine, <laughs> that piece of machinery because it's kind of like a wild Mustang. Like, he's the only one that can tame it. So that mm-hmm. is kind of, there, there are some stories like that. So that I, I, again, you know, having had some former experience on a many, many years ago, it's been 20 years, you know, but uh, that's that's just the way it is. But I think the 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 way that they build the tension with this, it builds slow. And usually, you know, with a slow burn like this, maybe some people find it to be too slow or a little maybe, you know, boring for lack of better term. But I think that it's very atmospheric, like the way they show the thing, like when Dennis is standing there, he's smoking a cigarette after uh, Mac has died and they buried him. Right. and. The, you know, the killdozer slowly raises the blade up and then slams it back down, almost taking off his foot. It does good building that tension. It's like, you know, you're, you're just known. It's, it's, it's chipping away at them. Now, yeah. when uh, James Watson, as Beltram, when he hops into that thing, uh, like, I, again, this was a first-time watch for me. I know you've seen this a couple of times. But this was a first-time watch. I knew he was going to die horribly. <laughs> and he really does. He dies probably more horribly than just about 
anybody does. Because, oh, yeah. you know, he hops yeah. into it, and Chubb is trying to, you know, scream and yell at him to get off of it. And the thing just takes off, of course, because, you know, no pun intended. It has a mind of its own. He can't control it, so what does he do? He does the worst thing at all possible. And any guy in any construction crew would tell you, never leap off a piece of moving equipment. Oh, yeah. You know, whether it's a bulldozer, you know, uh, a, 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 a cherry picker, you know, a crane or anything like that. A forklift, you never leap off of it while it's in motion. And the thing just starts chasing them down. And I actually thought this scene was pretty well choreographed. And I think this plays into some of the things you said probably couldn't be done today with the at least in the same manner that they did it back then because it would all be done with CGI because they would not, one, risk their stunt stuntmen like this and will certainly would not risk their their actors and you know the the the, the talent they wouldn't risk them like this at all 1974 right. they might have but 2021 it would never happen well and and you know this was a tv movie and it was shot with two cameras and you know very you know i mean in the 70s what were the editing techniques they, they weren't as advanced as they were today so there was a lot of danger you know that was occurring that you know these stuntmen you know, and these actors, you know, I mean, they, they were putting themselves at risk, you know, to get these shots. And again, yeah, you'd see it today done with CGI and it'd be way over the top and it would just be, but it wouldn't be as scary where when you just don't have that, you know, that, that, that technical trickery and you basically got to get, you know, within two feet of this blade while this thing is coming at you and you're rolling on the dirt trying to get away from it and the blade's going to come down. And, you know, and on top of that, you know, this bulldozer, you know, yeah, there's a guy in there somewhere controlling it, but how well can he really see? He certainly can't see what's in front of that blade. So, you know, you're, you guys are kind of, you know, there's some actual tension where you're kind of worried about the actors maybe getting through this. Like, you know, they all did. But it's just, uh, you know, it's just a little more organic than what we can do today with all the effects that, you know, tends to end up going more over the top. This is more realistic tension, in, you know, kind of in, in my mind with this stuff. Oh, yes. Another thing I thought of, too, while you were just talking about this was, I guess when I was watching it, in my mind, it was the alien. He was um, it took him time to really get control of the killdozer. So at first, you know, he was it was just going crazy in there, you know. And so, uh, you know, Kelly was able to cut the fuel line and get out and shut it down. Then once it you know started to get a little better control, it started to take over and, and could do things. And uh, I remember there were some scenes where the headlights turn on. And it's almost like where the where the killdozer is waking up, and now it can see. So now it can. It yeah, can yeah, force. I caught that. As, yeah, as the story went on, it got more control over this device and became more and more threatening. You know, when it well, you'll tell the rest of the, the story. I won't, I won't spoil it. But that's I sort of, I felt that build up, and like you say, maybe that was a slow burn for some people, but in my mind, that was, you know, although maybe they could have explained it. I felt that it was like the alien slowly adapting to this new body, this this uh, D nine bulldozer. Yeah, I mean, but like, how would they explain it? You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, other than like in some sort of weird voiceover. I can't. I don't know. I mean, and we're writers, we're directors. We've done this. We've produced. We've made movies. I wouldn't know like how they could explain that unless you had a physical like human type form alien that would come down and be like oh yes i'm here to stop this thing and you know unless you went that route <laughs> you know like uh, an alien hunter down you you, you couldn't explain that like uh, the inner workings of this you know killer bulldozer that's possessed uh you know or infiltrated or taken over by this alien meteorite i mean like how do you explain that you just no, have I to go with it it's it's just one more reason to go buy the book i guess and the comic book and <laughs> Explain it there, probably. Right, right. I would love to read the story. I would love to find it uh, at some point mm -hmm. and read. But I did like what you had said about the headlights. The headlights, uh, a note I made with the looming danger that that comes with this thing, the headlights are like its eyes. Mm -hmm. And they do, when they kind of flicker on and off, there's a few times they almost look red. So mm -hmm. they look very demonic. And I, I appreciated that. You know, I mean, it look and the, the blade of this thing, you know, that it oh. looks like a mouth. Yeah, it looks so nice. menacing. So when it's yeah. coming down, and it's, you know, and Beltram, you know, uh, we got a slightly bit off track, but when poor Beltram hops off of it, and he's running around back and forth, left and right, mm -hmm. he climbs inside that tube, and as soon as he climbs inside that tube, I'm like, dude, you're done. Yep. You're, you're fucking done. You're, you're, and, of course, it runs him over 
squashes him in that tube, and he he's done for. So now we got two of the two out of the six guys are dead. Yep. You know, I mean, we're running out of people here. <laughs> and, and yeah, and they are on that eye. You know, we mentioned that they're on this island, and they've got radio, you know, contact with uh, you know with the outside world, and they check in every so often and stuff. But you know, these guys are pretty isolated here. There's uh, you know, they can't call the cops or anything. They're it's them against the, the bulldozer. Yeah, I mean, like when uh, Kelly first is calling over the radio to get a doctor. You know, yeah. I said, would they say it would be two days before they could send a doctor out there? I mean, that's how yeah. remote they are. They're 200 miles from, you know, uh, any anything. They're in the middle of the ocean on an island. They're, they're not near any kind of civilization. But then this thing becomes very sentient. It becomes very understanding. Like, there's one point when there's like, well, it can't, it can't smell us. It can't hear us. And it's like, um, I'm not so sure, Dutch. I'm not so sure that it can't because as soon as they mentioned that they're going to try to use dynamite to blow it up, the yep. killdozer plows through their camp, plows through everything through you know through the uh, all the huts, all the tents that they got. Run over the dynamite, blows it all up, and it does nothing to it. The dynamite just basically ricochets off. It doesn't really do anything to this bulldozer, and it takes out everything. I mean, in the end, of what they say, they had a couple gallons of water, a little bit of food, enough rations to last to the two to three days it was going to be before the next next uh, supply drop came. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, you know they're, they're and, and it runs over the radio. So when Beltram, you know, first hops into it before it kills him, he, first thing it does is run over the radio, and then he crawls into what I call the tube of death. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, Kelly folds pretty easily. Now at this point, when Clint, Clint Walker's as as Kelly, when Dennis comes up with the dynamite idea, he at this point is still not. He thinks the thing is just going to run out of gas, and he thinks it's just, you know, a mechanics, uh, mechanical failure. And but he's just like, okay, we need to dynamite this thing. He, you know, that was a one big surprising moment to me. I was like, he's never going to cave to that. And then two seconds later, he's like, okay, let's blow it up with dynamite. And then the the killdozer just takes out everything they have, takes out most of their equipment. So uh, I think I think seeing you know the the Beltran character die. I think that was what kind of put him over the edge there. And that's probably why he was, was accepting to do that. I think he, at that point, had realized, okay, I'm not going to save my job anymore. You know, <laughs> I got a, an amok bulldozer and I'm, you know, and I've lost two of my crew. So, you know, I, th- I think maybe that was when his, his uh, you know, he clicked a little bit and got a little more realistic about what was really happening. That, that's just kind of my feeling. Yeah, I agree. And I also think, uh, you know, it bears mentioning that he was the only one that's seen Beltram die. Right. You know, he chased the, the, the killdozer down w- with his Jeep, and he's the only one that saw it, you know, chasing after him. You know, it wasn't just, oh, he left off of it and it accidentally, you know, turned left and ran over him. No, it was chasing him down. Yeah. If he jogged right, it jogged right. If he ran straight, it ran straight. So I think he, he, you know, was, you know, trying not to let on that, that he knew what he knew. But after it started bumping off more and more people, you know, because they tried to run a diversion. And, you know, Dutch obviously does not trust Kelly because, I mean, in Dutch, Dutch's eyes, Kelly's the one that got his buddy Matt killed. Yep. You know, he, he may never really quite get violent about it. And they never really come to fisticuffs over it. But he's starting to lose his shit. Uh, you know, he's starting to kind of, how would you say, go a little loopy. You know, he's getting a little uh, slap happy. And then, of course, they break out a bottle of booze. Yeah. And when he gets drunk, what does he, what does he say he's going to do, Tom? He's going to go swimming. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird scene. But I, I also remember exactly what they said. Um, like you were trying to remember here how he was getting a little loopy. I think they said he came off his spool. Which I thought, boy, that's that's a 1940s term. If ever there was a <laughs> rough <Right>. as school. <laughs> but yeah, something about going swimming with the boys. That, that, that little sequence was a little confusing to me. As in a, uh, in a macho movie like this. but <laughs> Yeah, I think he was, uh, like you said, going off a of spool. He was just, he was losing his shit. And, and you know, he had a, you know, a fifth of scotch into the mix. Right. People will tend to do uh, crazy things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the line. There's a line that uh, I like where Kelly says, "You know, uh, we don't know anything for a fact about this thing," 
except that the bulldozer kills. And he's like, well, that's good enough for me. <laughs> like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That was to, to the point. Most of the dialogue was, you know, very quick and to the point. And, you know, they weren't, it wasn't fluffy. You know, these guys, they, they were, they were definitely, you know, very, very economic with the dialogue and let's get to the action. Let's get to the tension. And, you know, the star of the movie really was the bulldozer. So, you know, give yeah. it, let us see as much of that as, as possible. And, uh, that's where it worked the best. Yeah, but they try to devise a plan, and the plan doesn't work because, well, the dynamite didn't work. That plan didn't work out. They tried fire because they figured that would burn through the hoses and, and yeah. shoot the electrical system to shit. That didn't work. They didn't do nothing. Then Dutch gets – he just kind of gives up the ghost, so to speak. Yeah. You know, he, ri- he rides forward. The Jeep stalls out. He's there, you know, kind of a standoff with the killdozer. And he doesn't try to run. He literally just hangs his head, closes his eyes, and let it run over him. I think he, he had just given up. I think he yeah. figured, this is futile. We're not going to make it. I'm just giving up. Yeah, and, and he lost his best friend, you know, and all that. So, And, you know, probably had some some effects of the alcohol still. So, yeah, he just, he did. He kind of yeah. just gave up the ghost at that point. And we almost, uh, we kind of almost glossed over it. But Chubb, Chubb, Chubb oh, Foster, yeah. or Novell Brand, he, he gets taken out. Killdozer yep. takes a comes in sidelines them as they're trying to escape to the other side of the island with their pickup truck and a couple of jeeps. He sideswipes the pickup truck, and I think Dennis was riding with him if I remember right, and yep, he nice. left out. But then Chubb was driving, so he got taken out, rolled over, boom, he blows up. So Chubb's gone. So that's three guys down. Down now, actually no four, yep, with uh, Dutch being dead. So all we got left is. Clint Walker, Kelly, and Dennis, which I made a note here. Uh, maybe you, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but does Carl Betts look like a dead ringer for Darren McGavin? I was, you know, I was just going to say that. He was like, <laughs> they could have been brothers. They really could have yeah. been. He's, he's a more serious Darren McGavin. But yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a slightly less goofy Darren McGavin. He's like yep. Kolchak's more serious brother. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Oh, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there because I was just Absolutely. like, am I just seeing things here that aren't really there? But yeah, for sure. And Clint Walker has such a distinctive voice, and I don't know what his little drawl or accent is, but he is he is his voice is so recognizable in everything he does. You know, he, he's always playing this alpha male character, and, and he just does it so well. Uh, you know, he, he was he was it was really fun to see him in this in this movie too. Right. Seen him in a lot of TV shows and stuff mostly, and I know he's done a lot of you know other stuff over the years and, and done some movies and stuff too. But uh, this is for me, this is like the, the quintessential Clint Walker movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember him from The Dirty Dozen, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. And, uh, and many others. I mean, God, he probably had 40, 50 credits, I'm sure, but he just um, he only passed away about two years ago. He lived to the ripe old age of 90, he, he lived a nice, full, long life. Good for him, yeah. I mean, I remember, like I say, I, I remember him mostly from from this role. But it seems like every now and then I'd turn on some TV show, and there he would be, you know, playing playing the same character, playing some sergeant or some, you know, real real tough guy, and just uh, just just a fine actor. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you remember him from Snow Beast? I, I do. remember Snow Beast. Do. I he yes. was a sheriff, right? Yeah, he was the sheriff yep. in that movie. Yeah, yep. that was. That was just like I, that was what I mostly remembered him from that and uh, Dirty Dozen, yep. you know, a lot of westerns. Yeah, kind of the quintessential all-American tough guy. Yep, yep. And that's what he was doing in here. You know, he's he's kind of a very uh, stoic, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. He played a little more of a flawed character in this one, maybe than usual, because like you said, the recovering alcoholic and you know, struggling with his uh, with his with his team and with his you know his life and. So he had he he put a little just there was just a certain awkwardness that he had, you know, in all of the relationships with the characters, and I thought he did it very well. Yeah, it, he plays a very uh, scarred, flawed yeah. person, but he's yep. trying. He's trying to like to do the right thing and make good, and that's what makes the ending of this so such a downbeat kind of ending because you know even in the end that you know we're we're doing all spoilers here. They do end up defeating the kill dozer. We'll get into how they do it. But at the end, the conversation between him and uh, between Kelly's the Kelly character and Dennis is that you know one nobody's going to believe us. He's like, do we just make it up? Do we make something up? And he's like, no, 
he's very adamant we're going to tell the truth and he's like you know that no matter what even if you tell the truth especially if you tell the truth they're going to ruin you this is the end for you so it's like you know there's always the i think a need in modern day movies to tie everything up in a nice neat bow you know mm-hmm. the the hero you know resolves the conflict defeats whatever is you know the problem that's set in front of them and you think like oh well this is it it's kind of like again a little bit like the thing you know it's like yeah mccready and childs might be left alive at the end and and you know maybe one of them's the thing one of them is not the thing and they've defeated the alien but the, the reality is they're both going to freeze to death yeah. they're not going to make it you know mm-hmm. and, and uh just like with this this guy's life is ruined he's probably he's definitely going to lose his job his mm-hmm. reputation is ruined and he's probably going to go to jail and not probably he's you know if, if you look at it realistically he's going to jail if he or, if he lives you know or when or when this was written you know in the 40s he was probably going to go to the loony bin you know yeah that's what they would have done with those guys they, they would have said you're insane that couldn't happen you're, you know you're going to go to the loony <laughs> right They've been like, oh, yeah, yeah, killer bulldozer. Okay, yeah, we're going yep. to put you away in a nice little padded room here with a nice little vest on you. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> but I, I do like the harebrained scheme that they come up with. It's harebrained, but it works. We're getting into the fi- final moments of this film. You know, uh, Dutch and <clears> – <throat> not Dutch, I'm sorry, Dennis and Kelly – put their brains together and Kelly comes up with the idea. He's like, we electrocute it. If we fry the electrical system, it can't run anymore, which was a good idea. You know I mean? I, I, I guess, I mean, it was the last thing they had because they had, you know, the generator. And he's like, <laughs> I think he says something. He's like, well, it's got to work. Right. And he's like, well, it better. It's under warranty. That was like his one of Clint Walker's characters, one attempt at humor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I thought that was great. It was a, it was a little. It was one of the few moments of levity in this movie because it's all played off very serious. I mean, Dutch has some comical moments, but I think that was just him, you know, dealing with the idea that what was going on around him, dealing with it in a little bit of a sarcastic way. Right. But um, well, you know, that, that that's company man humor. You know, that that's that's yeah, the that, that, that's what he's going to think is hilarious—a joke about a war. <laughs> right. So that's that, they they nailed that one. <laughs> Before we get to that part, before I, I jump the gun and get to that, I almost skipped over my favorite scene, where they're oh, running. I know what it is. Yep. Go ahead. Where they're running on on foot and they get to the shovel. Yes. The big uh, the big crane and it's the, the crane shut slash shovel versus the dozer and the dozer keeps trying to run at them and they keep blocking it with the bucket. Yep. Oh, you know, such and a you can almost yeah, it's great. It's well choreographed. And it, it was probably the most exciting part of the movie. And I loved it. I, I thought it was great. I wish it would have played on a little bit longer. It was short-lived, but very cool. You know, until what, a couple of the hoses and, and the mechanics breaks and, you know, they can't use the, the bucket anymore. So that's when they run. But the, you can almost feel the killdozer getting frustrated. Like, it keeps trying to run at them and plow over them. But it's getting frustrated. Well, it's, it's funny because, yeah, then even, even after it's defeated the crane... The killdozer just keeps messing with the crane. You know, they run. They, they, they run out of the crane. And the killdozer just stays there because he's, he's, he's frustrated that he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do with the crane. So he just keeps jousting with it, even though it's, you know, broken and not fighting back. It was interesting, I thought, too, that they used a – it's a much older crane. You know, the killdozer is pretty much new. That crane was, you know, probably 20, 30 years older than the killdozer. So that, that was kind of cool, you know, the old school versus the new school – and I remember when I first saw this movie, because I saw it as a kid, and uh, you know I had the big Tonka trucks and all that stuff, and that was the scene I played in my mind and in my sandbox after, that, after seeing this movie. <laughs> I replayed that scene, you know, forever, and uh, it was just the most memorable thing. And, and I had the same feeling when I when I saw it again just recently. I thought, damn, that scene was short, because I kind of remember that as being the whole movie. <laughs> right, it's right. Such an exciting idea. So yeah, I, w- I wish it would have played out much longer for such a short movie. They could have padded that out with a couple extra minutes, I think. Yep, I, w- I would have liked that. But but again, it, it got its point across, like you said. It was you know the the piece of the pieces of equipment. It was it was showing its it was getting more evil. It was getting more frustrated, and uh, you know it was it was definitely time for uh, Dennis and, and Kelly to come up with a plan. 
what 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 I like too, and this is just a little idiosyncratic kind of thing, is when after the killdozer would kill something or kill someone or defeat them or you know, or take over their camp. And it's one of those many, many scenes. It would raise the blade and then tilt it back and forth. Yeah. Yep. Almost like the Michael Myers head tilt. Like it was just kind of observing what it had done and just tilting its head back and forth. I love that. You know, for something that is you know basically an, an inanimate object, you know, and they could you know they couldn't get you know true emotions out of it. I thought it was interesting how they were able to do that and be like, oh, this is it contemplating its kill or admiring its kill. But yeah. that with the little the, the blade tilt, I I I loved what they did with that. The mechanics of it, I thought that was very very good. Yeah, I thought it was. I, I interpreted that as like a celebration. It was celebrating. You know, it was like giving you know fist up. Yes, look what I did. Ha ha ha. You know, and I'm showing off for you a little bit. <laughs> yes, like giving so, itself a fist bump. You know, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, we get into the final few moments of the of the movie, and, and I, I was checking. And I was like, wow, how much is left of this? And I'm like, wow, there's literally like three and a half, four minutes left of this when they're devising this plan to electrocute it. And I, I love how they do it, you know, like uh, the bulldozer's already damaged a little bit, you know, it's been uh, the crane had taken out its uh, the, the, the exhaust and it had taken out the top of it and they can't get it to, to come across. They set up, you know, the that metal sheeting that they electrified that they, you know, had the uh, generator hooked into. They couldn't get it to pull forward on it. Like it knew it was a trap. So what does Kelly do, Be, being the brooding, you know, macho guy that he is? He goes out and just starts screaming at it, you know, and throws a uh, a crowbar at it mm-hmm. that takes <laughs> breaks, out his headlight. Yeah, breaks, breaks his, his headlight. Eye. Yeah, breaks one of his eyes, and that thing just brum, 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 yep. just takes off, goes after him, and boom! They Dennis sets the uh, generator going. They electrocute it. It catches on fire and. The alien, I guess you could say, the alien spirit le- leaves the the killdozer and kind of like that blue light show. Like mm-hmm. uh, as I put it, I'm like it's an electrocution that just might work, and it does. And I and I made a quote here, or a note here. I'm like, is the blue light special? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, in in today by today's standards, you know, I mean that's really cliche. How many monsters get killed by electricity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Again, and even in 1974, how many times have they seen a monster killed by electricity? You know, so many times. But when it was written in 1944, I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say. But even so, I thought it was it was it was well done, especially as you pointed out, kind of the taunting that Clint Walker Clint Walker's character did to lure it in. Even though it wasn't a long scene, it was it kind of reminded me of Jaws a little bit. You know, and smile, you son of a. You know, something just where he was taunting it to get it to come closer, and, and I thought that worked really well. And yeah, then the, it gets electrified, and we guess it's all over. Um, you know, I don't know where that blue light went, but uh, it didn't go into... I was thinking myself when I was watching it, maybe it's going to just go into one of those other pieces of equipment, you know, that's laying around over there, maybe into the generator. But uh, it, was a, it wasn't a movie that was a two-hour movie, so otherwise it probably would have. But, uh, right, right. right. Yeah, and and I thought I thought though like the one thing that I thought was a little ridiculous, you know, and there's where my suspension of disbelief, you know, this is the part I have the problem with is like they think, oh, like yeah, they thump their chest, like we we killed it, we defeated it, they get really close to it, they get up and touch it and lean against it, like yeah, it's dead now. I'm like, I would be staying as yeah, they listen to it because it was making the noise and the humming noise, like the meteorite was. I would have been staying as far the fuck away from that thing as humanly possible yes. you know it's it's, the, it's the akin to like ooh, we we killed the killer now instead of like walking around his body let's step over him so he can grab our leg yeah but exactly. there is no grabbing our leg moment that is pretty much the end and we get that kind of the bit of dialogue between dennis and kelly when he's just like you know what are we going to do and he's like well we're going to tell the truth and he's like well <laughs> you're going to know that's going to be the end of the end he's just like but he's very adamant that he's going to tell the truth because that's just the kind of guy he is. And that's the end of our movie. And strangely enough, I, it's, you know, I wouldn't say this with most made for TV movies of this era. It left me wanting more. It felt like it would have been a neat pilot for a TV show. You know, uh, I, I would have loved to see more. I'd love to see a sequel. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a ripe kind of movie to be remade. 
I think would lose some of the luster, like you said, uh, you know, not being able to do it with the practical special effects because that just wouldn't be possible in this day and age. They wouldn't take that risk. But still, you know, if it was, it would probably be made for Sci-Fi Channel by something like The Asylum and probably be a CGI overblown mess. But I think I'd still be on board for it. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those, you know, there's there's like a few movies that if, if I had the power to remake them, you know, I would I would love to do it. War of the Gargantuas was has always been the movie I, I mentioned, you know, in a heartbeat. If if I could remake that movie, I would. And this is be the other one. Um, for me, you know, because this movie, like I said, I saw it as a kid. And this was basically what inspired me to try to make, you know, actual movies. You know, I was as a kid, I was making little two, three minute, you know, comedies and little shorts and things like that. When I saw this, I made a movie called Snowblown, which was a 15 minute movie that was basically Killdozer, only it was a snowblower out killing people. And uh, from there, <laughs> I went, then I made a movie called Lawnmown, which was the sequel to Snowblown about a lawnmower going around the neighborhood. It was about a 20 minute movie out there killing people. I'd love and, to see uh, those someday. Was, I would love to see those. <laughs> they were my first two sound movies. Before that, I was doing all silent stuff. And, uh, wait, wait, so wait, wait, wait. They, they were talkies? They were talkies. <laughs> They're not. They were talkies. Before that, I only had a silent camera. But then when I was like, I think I was 12, I got my first sound camera. And that was the first thing I did was made up, was made Snowblown. And then I made Lawn Mow. And then I made another one called Snowblown 2, which was probably my best movie of that era. But anyway, it was a, it's it was just for a film, you know, for, for a kid who liked film and especially a boy, you know, and, and all the toys I had and the tanks and the trucks and all that kind of stuff. It just, it was, you know, it was just like worlds colliding here. They made a movie about a killer, you know, kill those or want a killer bulldozer. That's what I want to do. So, and it was just, you know, like I said, it's a very straightforward, a very simple movie, very, you know, A to B, no big plot twists or anything like that, but it's, it's exciting. It's tense. And, you know, it had that kill dozer. <laughs> Yeah, I had a killer bulldozer. I mean, what's not to like? Yep. <laughs> now, you said you saw this as a kid. Did you see it on the, the original airing, or did you see it as a, as a repeat? Don't know. Um, I mean, I know I saw it when I was probably sixth grade. So I, it would have been a re-airing, I'm sure. Um, but it was definitely on TV. You know, it was a TV movie, and I saw it when it was on TV. So there were commercials and everything. But it always stuck with me, and it was really hard to find. I mean, you couldn't find this on VHS or anything, but but I had such a strong memory of it. But my memory also of it, you know, was kind of corrupted. Like, I remember, in my mind, very clearly, I remember the killdozer switching over from gasoline to burning oil to, to keep running. I mean, I remember it like it happened in the movie, like they said that this happened. Well, they never said that happened. Um, there were some other things, too, that just, you know, in, you know, how your mind remembers things from you know years and years before, and then you see it again, and like right. stuff wasn't in the movie. There was there was just a lot of that that my my mind kind of had just made up because of my you know kind of love for this movie. But then when it finally I forget I found it maybe ten years ago somewhere on some DVD rip or something, and uh, I was so glad to have it. And you know, but it was really crappy looking. And then finally this Blu-ray came out. I don't know if it was a year ago or something. And, uh, oh, my gosh, to see it on Blu-ray, oh, what a dream. <laughs> I've watched it probably two, three times <laughs> since I got the Blu-ray. Yeah, this, like I said, uh, I hate to say it, but it was a first-time watch for me, and what a watch it was. I, I enjoyed it immensely. Much much, much more enjoyable of a film than uh, The Hearse. Yeah, <laughs> a thousand times better. Yeah. With that being said, let's go ahead. Yeah, yeah, not even they're not even in the same ballpark. But not all of them are gems, you know. And I think our, our job as uh, podcasting and reviewing is to not always, uh, you know, watch the gems. But sometimes you gotta watch a couple of, you gotta watch a turd or two. You just you have to. You gotta <laughs> review a few that are not so great. But this one, yeah, this was a, a a gem in the rough. But that being said, let's go ahead and get off into our uh, final thoughts and reviews. And you know how it goes around here. Guests go first, so. Give us your final review and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10, if you will. Well, you know, this this movie was, again, it was a TV movie from 1974. To me, that was the golden age of TV movies. Well, in the early 70s, you had The Night Stalker, you had Trilogy of Terror, you had Killdozer, you had so many great TV movies that, that came out in that era. 
And of all of those, you know, this one was the most memorable and for nostalgic reasons and for everything else, I just really enjoyed it. It was so nice to see it again. Um, you know, the director is, is really an interesting character. He's done so many projects from the Partridge family to, you know, to Kojak, uh, you know, a extremely prolific TV director, TV show director. And I thought he really showed his stuff on this one, you know, to make it kind of gritty and, and realistic, but, but just, you know, just a lot of fun to watch. Very rewatchable. Um, you know, it's dated. Sure. I mean, it was from 1974 and it was written 30 years before that. So, you know, there are some things that seem cliche now because everybody else has copied it. But, you know, even taking all that stuff into consideration, for me, this is just just so much fun to watch. You can you can watch it with a bunch of beers and friends or you can just watch it when you want to, you know, have a quick 80 minute movie that, that's entertaining and that, uh, you know, has some dialogue and, and some scenes that you'll remember for a long time. So for me, this is a solid nine. Nice, nice. Now, for me, it, like I said, again, it was a first-time watch, and this is the type of uh, movie that I think falls right in line with almost like – it's almost like a creature feature, you yeah. know, in, in a manner of speaking. And, you know, yeah, my maybe it's a little cliched and maybe it's a little dry and whatnot, but again, you got to think it's a sign of the times. It was 1974, and like you had already said, it was based on a story that was already 30 years old by the time they adapted it. So you got to think, you know, the origin of this story is about 80 years old. So, you know, that being said, uh, I think it still holds up very well. It's a short movie. It's barely like 75 minutes long, you know, for a TV movie once you took out all the commercials and everything. But it's filled with great performances. It's got some witty dialogue. And, you know, I, I love the killdozer. I, lo I love the idea of a killdozer that's not just you know, this inanimate object or it's not got somebody just driving it, this killing somebody. It's, you know, been taken over by this sentient alien life form. And again, I've made a couple thing references, but it kind of feels like a precursor to the thing a little bit. You know, you don't know what it is. Is it an alien? What What is it? You know, it, I, I just love it. I, I love getting to watch this for the first time. I, you know, I bought it as a blind buy when I found it on DVD when you suggested it and I do not regret, regret it at all um, if I had to say there was anything that like I was a little disappointed in I I would have liked you know I think it, it does hurt it a slight bit being a TV movie it you know me I, I'm a slasher film kind of guy I would have loved to have seen some more you know definitive kills and, and more graphic kind of bloody kills but but made for TV you're, you're not gonna get that of course especially not for 1974. And I felt like they bop, bumped off Robert Urich a little too soon. But, you know, every, there's always got to, just like in movies like this, there's always got to be kind of a final girl or a final guy. There's always got to be a first victim. And unfortunately, he was the young end of the group, so he went first. Um, <laughs> you know, so that knocked it down a bit to me. So I'm coming in at an eight. I'm not coming in terribly low. But I, I think it's a, for a TV movie, it's a damn good solid eight. And I know we had talked about this off the air before we did this show, you know, talking about movies that we would remake or do a sequel to. Yeah, if uh, we can ever, like, figure out the rights situation to this and obtain them, consider me down to help in any way, shape, or form to do another Killdozer. Like, I would be totally down. Okay, I'll a doubt. put you down as the producer, then. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's about all I want to do anymore is produce and write. I don't want to. I don't know even know so much. I want to direct and act much anymore. It takes too much out of me. You so yeah. Up, yeah. If you could just come up with maybe two, three million dollars, I think we could do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I could do that, shoo. You, you you would know the the minute that I could come up with a couple million dollars because you would never see my happy ass ever again. <laughs> I, I would. I, I would buy. I would I would buy that island 200 miles off the coast of Africa, and then that's just where I would retire. <laughs> now you got you got to find ways to monetize these podcasts or something. <laughs> uh, I'm working on it. I'm trying to work on it. Uh, my goal is to try to start doing that once I hit episode 50. So yeah, I'm close. I, I've just released episode 40, 45. So I'm I'm, wow. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right. Good for you. Well, that being said, I think we'll put a, a pin in this and call it an end of the evening. Do you have anything new you need to, you want to uh, promote? I know you said you had a new movie that or a newer movie that you're editing on. Anything new projects you got going on? 
Yeah, just uh, that, that's kind of my biggie. It's sort of a top secret thing right now, but it was a movie that was shot, gosh, probably 15 years ago, and uh, the guys just never uh, never got around to putting it all together, and uh, I threw my hat in the ring. I liked the idea and said, you know, I, I don't mind. I, I would like to take it on kind of as an editing project, and, uh, you know, maybe I'd write the music to it too, and uh, the guys agreed to it. So it's it's kind of, you know, for me, it's, it's always a good experience to work on other people's movies. So this is another kind of a low-budget uh, fun kind of horror. I think there's some comedy in it too. Um, you know, kind of a violent one that they were shooting about the same time I was making my Italian zombie movie and, and working on some of those projects. And the same time you were shooting Postmortem America 2021, I think. So that was, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's an era that I have a fondness for. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting going on that. So maybe sometime next year, we'll have something, uh, something, uh, old yet new <laughs> for people to watch. An old one, but new to us, right? There you go. <laughs> All righty. Well, I want to thank you for taking another uh, couple hours out of out of your day to do one of these silly little shows with me. I always appreciate you taking your uh, what little free time you have. I know you're a busy man, so appreciate you, you uh, coming along for the ride on this show, and I appreciate you bringing this one to my attention because I, I was happy to add this to uh, you know my collection. There you go. Let, let me pick the movies, you know, and then I'm, I'm happy to be on here. Just don't make me do another one of those bad Italian ones again. What was that one we did that was so terrible? <laughs> and don't say Monster oh, Shit. like that one. <laughs> don't don't say what? I'm sorry? Don't say Monster Shark. I liked that one. It was the one we did after that. Oh, God, that was terrible. I can't remember. Oh, no, that was uh, Shocking Dark. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> that was so bad. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's not it's not good, but it's fun. I I still stand behind it that I I, I like that movie. It's a fun movie. Like you said, there's certain movies that you enjoy with your friends and a couple of beers. That's that kind of movie. That, That's the that, kind of movie I, I enjoy making fun of. <laughs> yeah, it would take a couple of fifths for me to enjoy that movie. Oh, <laughs> oh, dad. Yeah, that that was that was a chore to get through. But I always wanted to see it. So you know, yep. hey, we had yeah, we had to do it. Yep. Well, alrighty, that. All right. Well, thanks again, Tom, for coming on. I appreciate it. And folks, you have been listening to Cinema Degeneration's Killer Wheels Appreciation Month. And we have been reviewing and dissecting the 1974 TV movie Killdozer. Once again, thank you for listening and stick around for more. How did you get that? I want you to check her out in the morning, and I mean good. Why, what's wrong? You find out, and then you tell me. some clue. I don't like the way she acts. 